Welcome to the Wedding Film Academy podcast, your go-to source for learning to create stunning wedding films and run a successful business. Here's your host, Lumix Luminary and wedding filmmaker, Jordan Bunch. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wedding Film Academy podcast. Today we're circling back because we did an episode about a year and a half plus ago, it was I think a single digit episode where we talked about building a volume brand. And I actually had Matt Johnson from, uh, who is Matt? <laughs> who is Matt Johnson? Interview me talking about just the idea of starting a volume brand. I want to circle back to that because certainly since that time, a lot of things have changed. Um, I was kind of operating everything out of my home office at the time. And uh, we've grown a lot since then in uh, lots of different ways, but we want to do a short little series about creating sub-brands. Um, I don't even want to call it sub-brands, actually. It's just creating separate brands for different purposes. And uh, I, I, well, let, let's, let me first uh, introduce uh, my co-host today, uh, you all know her well, Taylor Juarez. Uh, she's the producer of this show. She is the studio manager for Ladybird Studios, and she also wears lots of other hats around here, at least 17 of them. <laughs> Taylor Juarez. <laughs> yes, everybody knows I'm a big fan of 17 hats. It's great to be here with you guys. Um, so we're going to start out by talking about our volume brand, which is Ladybird Studios. So, Jordan, why don't you tell our listeners kind of how our volume brand got started and how you chose to structure that in contrast to your boutique brand that you already had? Yeah. So, Ladybird Studios happened, I think, as almost a, at least in its current form, I think it was really kind of a happy accident. So, I had another company called Jordan Bunch Productions. I said had, I still have. Uh, things have taken a um, big shift in the last year or so because of various things that we'll certainly talk about in this two-part series. But um, I was operating that company. It's probably like the vast majority of people who are doing this full-time, um, kind of more of a mid to high end uh, wedding video studio. We did both photo and video, but really focused heavily on filmmaking. And it was sort of a solopreneur effort. So I did at some point in there hire an editor um, that was, you know, doing part of the edit, not, not the full edit, but primarily it was just me and I would hire freelance second shooters, a freelance editor from time to time, but primarily it was just me. And, one of the things I began to discover about myself is, and I've, I've sort of known this at various stages, but really in the last several years have opened up a whole new world of understanding who I am and what I enjoy most out of life. But one thing I knew is that um, I really like starting new things. And that's where I think most of my gifting is is in starting new things. And um, along with that, I was also realizing with a boutique studio like mine, a solopreneurship, there is certainly some 
plenty of benefits that come with that. There's also the drawback of a limited income. Um, and there's also the drawback of, you know, what if something happens to me? And so I began to think about what are other ways that I can generate some income that aren't tied to me being present at a wedding or an event. And so as I was really, you know, thinking about that, I began to think, okay, well, you know, it would be nice if I could alleviate two pain points. One being, you know, I'm already booked. Sorry, I can't film your wedding. I'm already booked. Uh, Second is, sorry, uh, you can't afford me, but I can't change my price. So, you know, go work with somebody who's cheaper. In both cases, um, that's me turning away money. And generally, that's not the best business move to say no to money. <laughs> so uh, I began to think about what are, what, what was, what's a way that I could sort of fill the need. Um, at the time, I had and still have a good friend um, who was thinking along the same lines. We were um, hanging out paddleboarding. Uh, on Lake Austin and began to think about, yeah, how could we maybe help each other out in starting something like that? I believe the story goes that you were on Ladybird Lake. We were on Ladybird Lake. Yeah, I should call Hence it Ladybird Lake. the name Ladybird. Lake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you're in, if you're in Austin, you know that Ladybird Lake has many names. Yes, you can call it Ladybird Lake. You can call it Lake Austin. I should have called it Ladybird Lake. Town. You can call it Town Lake. <laughs> you can call it the Colorado River. All would be accurate. <laughs> but we were on Ladybird Lake. And uh, anyways, yeah, we began to think about how we could help each other out on that venture, really just kind of thinking about it as just a little bit of a side hustle way we can make um, a little bit of side money and um, not really thinking too big about it, just an extra little thing. Um, As time went on over a couple of years, I began to have a little bit different vision for it. I began to think, hey, maybe this could be a really significant business. Maybe this could even be uh, my primary source of income. And my partner had, uh, you know, different thoughts about it. And he is a wonderful entrepreneur himself and had other ideas and dreams about what he would like to do. And so it just sort of made sense at that point for me to um, go ahead and buy him out of his, his portion of the company and make it a, um, just kind of take the reins myself. And so we came to a very friendly agreement and uh, decided to, yeah, move forward in that way. So that's sort of the the roots of the story. Did I, did I cover the roots there enough? Yeah, that's great. Um, so along those lines, as you were starting this new company, what was sort of your idea as far as how you wanted to train people up to work for this brand? And then how has that kind of changed over time or how do you train new shooters now? Yeah, so it's definitely evolved over time. Um, we, When we started out, we had a few people that we knew that did competent work that we hired as lead shooters. And then we found a few people that we could hire from scratch Um, who really didn't have any experience in filmmaking, but were creative people who really wanted to 
learn, who are eager to learn, who are coachable. Um, and so we kind of did both at the same time. Um, and Taylor, you were one of those people. And um, that was really kind of an amazing experience in and of itself, actually. I think we had, I forget what the number was, but it was something like 100, 150 applicants come in within like a two-week period of time. And what did we hire? Five people from that, I think. Yeah. Something like that. Um, and Taylor is one of those people. And really what we, over probably the first year, year and a half, we kind of phased out all the people who were um, those original leads that we hired that sort of were already competent um, in their um, in their shooting. Because multiple reasons, um, but we really were basically sort of shifting our model. Um, we knew that long term, what we needed to do was to have all the equipment already for everyone, um, rather than hiring freelancers, kind of shifting everyone into a um, you know full, um, not full time, but uh, into a full employees. Some of them are full time. Um, and yeah, kind of make that shift where we're we're taking every, pretty much everyone from ground zero um, to being lead shooter material, um, with the exception of one filmmaker and one photographer who we have on staff. Everybody's kind of come from that place of little to no experience behind a camera. It's a pretty big shift. Yeah, that's great. So. Let's talk about marketing strategies. So as you were starting out, I'm sure you had different ideas and kind of what was having already had Jordan Bunch Productions for a while, you know, you'd been in the wedding industry, so you weren't new to that. What was your like first thoughts as far as, okay, here's how I want to market my new brand. And then how has that sort of evolved? And what do you find are the most helpful marketing tools? So we think about marketing in a number of ways. I think there's the traditional things that people generally think about with marketing, i.e., you know, Taylor runs our social media accounts. Um, she does a wonderful job keeping active on, on Facebook, on Instagram, writing a blog, um, and you know, kind of keeping us omnipresent in the places that brides spend their time. Yeah, we can chat more about that in a minute. I sort of want you to talk about kind of the maybe paid marketing, things like the not. What avenues do you think are good for volume brands? Because I think it does vary if you're more of a smaller boutique brand and you're booking less clients and higher prices, you're probably going to have a different strategy than that of a volume brand. Yeah, I think with a volume brand, you do want to maximize exposure and be in a lot of places. I'm not telling you to be everywhere. We tried sort of the almost everywhere approach and just realized that some of those places are not worth their price tag. I think it's going to vary a lot based on city in terms of specifics. You know, the big question, not versus wedding wire uh, is always a question for people. In, in our particular city, we found that the knot works really well and the wedding wire does not work well. And I know a lot of people in other cities have sort of expressed the opposite opinion. So I'm not endorsing the knot over wedding wire. I just know for us, the knot has worked exceptionally well for us. 
and the wedding wire uh, has not. And so we actually just dropped wedding wire this year. We were on wedding wire for our first like three years and we just dropped it. Um, but we also put a lot of money into bridal shows um, and open houses, things like that. So we try, in fact, we're going to an open house. We actually just got off a phone call with somebody who invited us to last minute open house um, in two days. And, but we, we participate in all the big bridal shows. There are several a year. There's three every year that are kind of run by the same company. They're the biggest ones. Um, we're about to expand into San Antonio. That's about an hour away. And so we'll be doing like, I think six big ones a year, something like that. Five or six big ones a year. Um, so we are very big into the bridal shows. It definitely connects us with a ton of brides. We get a crazy amount of leads from each of those shows. Um, and then it's our job to follow up with that. And that's a whole separate conversation. Um, but yeah, I mean, we get, uh, probably anywhere from a hundred to, you know, maybe even 200 leads from any one of these bridal shows. Um, and you know, then it's time to follow up with them. So those are, those are most of the places where we generate our leads in terms of paid advertising. But I think, uh, another huge part of that is really connecting with vendors on a regular basis and getting on a lot of preferred vendor lists something you've done a wonderful job with Taylor is staying in touch with all these people and getting us on these lists. And that's been huge. Yeah. I think the whole vendor relationship thing is sometimes not valued enough. Like, I mean, obviously you meet vendors at your weddings and you know, you talk to them and whatever, but it does matter. Like the connection you make and remembering vendors from wedding to wedding and like keeping track of like who you work with a lot and you know, making sure you're passing out cards, that those vendors are not only like seeing you, but they're actually like connecting with your work and they understand your business and then they can refer you to brides. And something that I have always done is every single time we um, are done with a wedding film or a wedding gallery of photos, I, I will send an email to the entire vendor team from the wedding and say, hey, we were the photographers or videographers or sometimes both at so-and-so's wedding. Here's their films and photos. You can look at them. You can share them. Please tag us. Thanks. And so many people will respond to those emails and be like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Like I wasn't expecting this or, oh That's wow. That's because nobody was, else does it. Yeah. <laughs> Which to me, it's kind of like a no-brainer thing. I'm like, of course I want to share it with you. Like I want to share the video. And I, you know, you make friends with vendors at the wedding and you want to be able to show them your work, especially like, like things like, okay, the people that make the cakes or that bring in the flowers and decorate, like they're not expecting to see anything. So if you can send them a video or some photos like of their work being displayed during the day, that's huge. They love to see that. They're not expecting that because they're not like the DJ who's there all night or the planner who's there all day. Like, you know, they're a little bit further down on the vendor list because they may just drop something off, but they're important too. And for them to get to see their work and see it come together the whole day with the couple is really special. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's maybe one of the biggest like marketing tips I would have for anybody because it's free and it may be the most valuable thing that you do that you're not doing now likely because what Taylor said is that when she sends these emails, they're surprised by it. 
that's kind of absurd that they're surprised by it. Like that's the easiest thing in the world that you should absolutely be doing because it sort of solidifies those relationships. They put that work out there. They share it within their own networks because it's part of their work as well. And who knows who else sees that. So I think that that is incredibly valuable. We found, we've, I think there's no way to count how many bookings we've gotten from that. But certainly we could go back and attribute a lot of our vendor relationships where we're getting referrals, where we're on vendors lists, their preferred lists that they send out. Um, you know, I, boy, I have no idea. We're on, I'm sure dozens of photographers and wedding venues and wedding planners lists. Um, some of these lists are even, especially with like the planners and the venues, they're like these all inclusive lists where we literally do nothing. Like we find out, uh, from the planner that, you know, they ask us if we're available a date and then all of a sudden we get a check in the mail that says, uh, you're shooting this wedding. <laughs> and, uh, so those, those relationships are by far the best way to market. Yeah, that's a relatively new concept. Um, as of like this year, it started with this one planner who we'd already worked with. We'd even done a style shoot with her. We had a video on her website that we made. And so we already had this relationship going. And then she said, hey, I'm working on this all-inclusive package with several different venues where basically I'm taking care of everything. I'm booking all the vendors and the couple will just choose from like my list. Um, so yeah, what happens is she'll just be like, Hey, are you free on this date? And I'm like, yep. And she says, cool, here's the names. Here's the thing. Send me the contract. I'll send you the check. And that's it. And we've gotten, and then we've gotten on some other planners that have done some all inclusive stuff as well. Like there was another planner that like just in the last week and a half, three, I booked three weddings just by him sending me the info and saying, Hey, if you're free, we're booking you. So stuff like that really adds up um, when you're on planners lists and venue lists because those are the two top things that people are booking before you. Um, and they really, really cherish those like recommendations from their planners or their venues. No doubt. No doubt. What else you got for me, Taylor? I know we got some other... I would other... say so like you're emailing work to vendors after you produce it. That's step one. Um and then step two is getting on those preferred vendor lists, which takes time because most places will tell you, like, I wouldn't recommend just emailing a place that you've never worked or you've worked like once. Okay. Because they're going to come back and say, oh yes, how many times have you worked here? You know, have you, have we seen any of your work? Like we really kind of want to see you work a few weddings, see what your work is like and kind of develop more of a relationship before we like add you to any of our lists. So if you've already been sending your work every single time you do a wedding, then you're keeping track of that stuff. And then after a while, you're going to be like, man, this is like the fourth film I've done at this venue. Now is a good time to say, hey, by the way, here's all the films we've done. Just a reminder, we've done like four or five films here. Can we talk about preferred vendor list? So that is huge. If you're already sending your work to vendors, keeping track of which places you're working most, and then once you've worked there several times, then you can kind of open that conversation to, hey, it, could I possibly be on your preferred vendor list? Do you have one? How do you go about that? Because every venue is different. Not every venue has one or goes about it the same way, but don't be afraid to ask. Because, Here's something else I'll say yeah. is 
it's, it's a little bit easier for us because we're at the point now where we do so much volume that we can say, yeah, we did five weddings at your venue in the last six months, you know? Um, so that's not everybody's situation. Um, what I would say is if you have done even one wedding with a particular vendor you'd like to work with, whether it's the venue or the planner or the photographer, follow up, send that uh, video to them and then ask them if you could take them to lunch. Um, you know, if you, if you feel good about it, if you hit it off in the, the launch afterwards and connect that way, you know, maybe you connect on the level of, Hey, I really enjoy you. And, uh, you know, I felt like we worked together really well. How could we work together more? And if you go at it from that perspective, maybe you can sort of, uh, uh, shortcut the whole process rather than sort of having to wait before you've done three, four, five weddings at a place and ask for you know, before you make that ask. So, uh, you know, you don't have to be doing our kind of volume to get on preferred vendor list, but it certainly has been helpful. Yeah. And I would say the other part of marketing that I'm responsible for is the social media aspect of it, which I will say social media is not instant gratification. If you want to gain awareness and eventually get bookings just from social media, that's going to take time. Um, I've been building our social media accounts for almost three years. And just this year, have I started to see couples coming in saying, hey, I saw you on Instagram. I saw you on Facebook. So it takes time to build. But if you're starting a volume brand, it's really important to get your social media strategy going in the beginning and to keep it consistent. You have to be consistent in what you're posting, how often you're posting, and stick to a schedule. You know, decide whatever that's going to be for you, how you want to structure your content, but stick to that schedule because then a year later, two years later, when you have this great like backlog of content and posting and regular things and you're active on social media, people are going to notice that. You're going to get bumped up in searches, you know, everything that you can think of. And then you're going to start seeing that payoff. So I think it's also good to have the accounts because in addition to your website, people are going to want to be like, well, where else are they? I don't know about you guys, but if I'm looking at a business and I can't find their Facebook page, I'm like, hmm, is this like a legit business? Because if I can't find their Facebook page and they don't have one, their website's probably not that great either. Usually those things go hand in hand. But if you have a solid website and you've got a good active you know, social media accounts and decide what those are, are good for you. For us, it's Facebook and Instagram. Some people like Twitter, just depends what you like. But if you've got them solid and active and have updated information, all of that stuff connects and it's all going to connect to your online presence. So I think that's super important for marketing. Yeah, I think that's really important what you said there, because I feel like a lot of people overlook their Facebook and Instagram because they think, oh, I'm not getting leads from those places. And, you know, we do get leads from those places, but it's not that much. I've, but I've still invested a lot of uh, money into having Taylor run those things because like she said, part of it is just sort of a, a legitimacy. You know, it's our storefront. I mean, we do have a physical location, but it's not like we're getting walked by traffic or something, you know? So our online presence is still our, our storefront. It's our first impression. And so leaving a good first impression by having, you know, posts on a 
on a regular basis by having new work showing off all the time. And if you're not doing a ton of work, you know, you can always recycle um, older stuff uh, to show off again so that you're at least posting on a regular basis. You could also post, I mean, Taylor posts all kinds of like just industry tips and um, yeah, you know. back in the beginning before we were super busy, you know, I didn't have enough content to like, and I decided that we were going to post every day. I post once a day, every day of the week, seven days a week. And in the beginning, there was not enough content to post every day. So I was like, okay, well, how can I still post every day, but keep it, you know, relevant content? So I would make quote graphics, yeah, industry tips, anything that's wedding related posted on our account and then mix it in with clips of our work and screenshots from videos and things like that. And, you know, that starts to build up. And then once we started getting really busy and we had a lot of backlog of work, then I kind of transitioned out of that. And now I have plenty of, of content that I can post photos, video clips, screenshots every day, and I've got plenty to choose from. But don't be afraid to post other content as long as it's w- relevant to the wedding industry nobody's going to care. But the fact that you're active, even if you're sharing other people's posts and like supporting other vendors, that's a great thing to do too on social media. But just being active in your field is so important. That's awesome. I want to shift. One of our listeners, Jonathan Perkins, asked this question. He said he would love to hear about how we set our style and how we train new shooters. I think that probably is the sort of biggest fear that most people have when they're considering starting a new business is how, because, because most of us, we are at our core, we're artists first, business people second. Um, and so I think that's sort of one of the biggest fears for a lot of people is how do I keep my style consistent? How do I have people that I can trust to be reliable and to hold, that style, whether it's a volume brand, whether it's an associate sort of branch of the same company. Um, yeah. How, how do you have that style and train people in the same way? And uh, there, there's a lot to that. Um, Taylor, you want to say something about that? I was just going to say, I think that was one of your biggest things in the beginning that kind of set you apart from other companies is that you decided, hey, I love teaching. I want to make this a training grounds for young filmmakers who are aspiring, who may not have any experience, may have very little, um, so that I can train them in my style. And they don't have, you know, I don't have to worry about looking for people with experience or gear or any of that stuff. So I think that really kind of set you apart in the beginning. And what was so cool to me, having found your ad being like, oh, wow, this person is looking for wedding filmmakers or people that want to be that don't need to have any experience whatsoever, which at the time was perfect for me. And, you know, for apparently 150 other people, yeah. but I think that's a really great choice that you made when you decided to start the brand. Well, I think that's one of the bigger differences. Most of the volume studios, at least in our town, um, they probably started out as a uh, maybe it started out as like a photography or a DJ or, you know, kind of one of these uh, one-stop shop places where you can get your photographer, your DJ, your flowers, your photo booth, your officiant, your day of coordinator, all the above, you know, probably everything but your 
um, but your cake or something. So uh, if, if that's the business model, I'm not even, honestly, I'm not even knocking that business model, but if that's the business model, uh, they're probably going to care a whole lot less about the quality of the video. And typically what I find is that those companies are going to hire freelancers who are going to bring their own equipment because the owner of the company knows nothing about video. You know, he doesn't know what's good and what's not. He doesn't know anything about the industry. He just says, oh, well, we'll add video service. And so I'll just hire some freelancers. And I know probably a lot of our listeners work for people like that. So again, I'm not not dogging that. I'm just saying what we did was completely different from that because I was not doing all those things. I was just running a video production company, you know, that was solo, basically just me. And so I cared a lot about the craft. I cared a lot about what the videos looked and sounded like. I cared about the way that they made people feel. Um, And so I uh, had a much higher standard of what I wanted the films to look and sound like than most of the other volume companies, at least in, in our town. And so that definitely made things stand apart. So I think if you as the business owner, I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you're probably not one of those um, one-stop shop places, but maybe you are. But if you as the business owner are holding um, that vision for what makes a good wedding film in your mind, whatever that is, if, if you're holding that as a key value then it's going to come across in all of your training and it's going to come across in your films. One of the things that was so important to me is that regardless of which one of my filmmakers, um, which one of the teams were being sent out, that the video would look um, would look the same regardless of which ones of them went out. And, uh, and that has been the case with each one of the things I do with our company is I review all the films before they go out um, have any final changes made and then they get sent out some kind of quality control. Um, and every time I have to ask which one of our filmmakers did it because I genuinely cannot tell. Um, and so that has just been a constant, um, training, whether it's bringing people into the studio to walk them through, whether it's doing, you know, sort of these mini, uh, day-long workshops with people, um, with, with smaller groups of the team as sort of advancement training um, and training in the beginning especially. Um, whether it's you know sitting down with them or critiquing their work, having them go out and shoot little personal projects and then bringing the footage back and I'll watch it and give them feedback. Um, but also we have our editor, uh, our main editor will make cuts of their work to show them hey, here's what the last several shoots you did looked like. Here's some changes I would like you to make. Here's some other things I want you to be thinking about. Here's some things you're doing exceptionally well. And kind of having an ongoing training structure so that we're not complacent, but we're continuing to grow. And boy, our work really has improved. Uh, I mean, if I look at our work from 2015 till today, it has vastly improved. And uh, that just comes along with kind of having this continued training ground, both in a vast amount of experience because we do so many weddings. Our team, you know, in one year, I think most of our team gets the same amount of experience as most people who are, um, you know, trying to go at it on their own get in four or five years. 
Yeah. And I think that's really awesome because we, with the volume we have, we just get to keep shooting and keep shooting. And some of us are working every weekend or almost every weekend, sometimes doubles in the super busy season. And getting that amount of practice is just, is really fun because, you know, it challenges you and you get in the rhythm of shooting, but at the same time, you want to find new ways to shoot the same things. And I think it's super fun to have that much experience. Okay. So we've talked a good amount about the backhand and there's a lot more that we could dive into there. I've taught full master classes at some of the bigger conferences about that. Um, I'm actually going to be teaching at the wedding film retreat uh, on a similar subject here. So this could go on forever, but I do want to shift. We've talked a lot about kind of the, the back end stuff, but I want to talk about the client relations stuff. And this is where I'm going to hand things over to Taylor because Taylor other than uh, some of the some of the sales phone calls, and Taylor even does some of those, but Taylor has the vast majority of the contact um, between us and the client. So, Taylor, talk to me about um, so the process from we've generated a lead, um, a lead has come in, and we're going to try to work them into a contract. What does that look like? So when leads come in, uh, it's my job to, they come into the inbox that I monitor. So I input all the leads into 17 hats and send our initial emails. And then it's up to the client to be like, you know, some of the clients, you know, we communicate via email for a little bit, but a lot of them will either schedule a phone call or want to set up a meeting to come into the studio to meet with us. So, you know, I'll schedule phone calls and meetings, which... Jordan usually handles all the sales calls. Sometimes I'll do some calls if needed. Um, and then if they're coming in to meet with us in the studio, Jordan and I will both sit down with them uh, and meet them and kind of show them work and go over pricing and then kind of talk to them about their day um, and do it that way. One thing that we really like to do when we're either on the phone or in person with a client is kind of towards the end of the conversation when we're wrapping things up, we like to say, hey, would it be helpful if we sent you a contract and a sample invoice so you can kind of see everything that you're considering and look at that as you're having conversations and doing more of your planning? That way, they've already got a blank contract. They've got um, an invoice that we build with the things that they're considering, you know, and we tell them we can always change this, that you're not locked into anything. But we figured that the invoice would kind of help you to see everything itemized, think about your budget and things like that. And then if they decide to book, we tell them, hey, you've already got it. All you got to do is sign the contract um, electronically, pay the 50% deposit, and you've reserved your date. So it kind of puts it in their court from that point. And we've already sent them the information. And then it makes it, I feel like it makes it a little bit more likely because now they've got like physical things to look at. You know, we're not just a business card floating around. They've got an actual contract, an invoice from us while they're looking at other vendors or looking at their budget. So I think that's super helpful. And then once they decide to book, um, they fall into my jurisdiction. So I will kind of, once they've signed the contract and paid the deposit, I put them on the calendar. Um, I, I switch them over from lead to client. You know, we have things color-coded. And then from there, I've got certain workflows that I do, whether they're video clients, photo clients, or both. And then something that I actually implemented this year was I was thinking to myself, 
you know, since I am the studio manager and since I'm the one that's going to be emailing them from now until forever, why don't I introduce myself? Because, you know, most people think they're talking to Jordan and his name is like on the email header. Um, so they sort of just assume that the emails are coming from Jordan. So once they book, I kind of send my email that says, hi, thanks for booking Ladybird Studios. My name's Taylor. I'm the studio manager and kind of walk them through, you know, my process. I'm going to be the one talking to them. Please let me know if they have any questions. I let them know that I'm going to be checking in with them, kind of all the basics. But then that way, kind of from there on out, they know, oh, okay, so I'm going to be talking to Taylor. And I've seen a lot of success with that because now when clients email, they'll be like, hey, Taylor, I've got a question or hey, Taylor, here's my timeline. And that's helpful just to kind of establish that relationship with clients who sometimes I get to meet, whether I meet them in person at a bridal show or they come into the studio, but sometimes I don't get to meet them or even get on the phone with them. So I think having that, you know, just knowing who they're talking to through email is important, especially with the volume that we do. So that's one thing that I really like to do. And then I kind of just have everything built into workflows from the time they book until the wedding. And then I've got a workflow for after the wedding and kind of our steps as far as delivering content, checking in and things like that. But 17 hats really is, (laughs) does like half my job. So that's our preferred method for keeping up with all of our clients and client communication. Awesome. Um, One of the questions that I know a lot of people have is, how do you filter people from between the two brands? Um, is there some sort of cross pollination between the two? Do people know about the two brands? And that's something that um, is is always something that I'm navigating. Particularly, uh, I think most people are transitioning if they if they inquire through Jordan Bunch Productions, um, you know would eventually transition to Ladybird Studios. And the reason for that is, is because of the beginning, you know, the reason I started Ladybird Studios in the first place is just the vast majority of people can't afford the price of Jordan Watch Productions. And so they came and they wanted sort of this storytelling style that we do. And they fell in love with a particular film and they said, yeah, I want to hire Jordan Watch Productions. And then they're like, oh, but I can't spend... $70,000 on a wedding video. And so then I'm able to say, okay, well, let's, um, let me introduce you to my other company, Ladybird Studios, um, where we have a, a similar style. We're all about storytelling and it's done by the people who I've personally trained up. So it's done in my style. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's different, um, but the price is, you know, three times cheaper. So maybe they can afford that. Um, so we have had a number of our clients make that transition from inquiring through Jordan Much Productions and then being filtered through Ladybird Studios. Um, it's much more rare that it goes the other way, but it has happened. Um, I had a client that inquired through Ladybird Studios. Um, actually, the father, interestingly enough, the father of the bride came to meet with me and um, he was, you know, he liked to, he liked to kind of show his, his money. You know, he was, he was proud of the fact that he had done well for himself. And, uh, he, 
yeah, so he, he let that be known a number of times in the conversation. <laughs> uh, he, as, as he began to kind of hear more about the business model, uh, he began to say, well, why aren't you the one doing it? I said, well, if you want to hire me, um, you know, you need to go through Jordan Bunch Productions. This is what that looks like. And he said, well, I need to hire the best because only the best for my daughter. And so I said, okay, well, if, if you want me, then we're just going to shift the conversation about pricing and everything else that goes as a part of the sales conversation, of course. And, uh, you know, so that client ended up shifting from thinking about spending, you know, $1,500. That was kind of the original inquiry. Everybody inquires for the $1,500 package. Nobody actually books it, (laughs) which is kind of our goal. Um, But they end up jumping from that to spending, uh, I don't remember what it was, you know, uh, that was a while ago. So it's probably more like $6,000 or something on their wedding film. Um, So, yeah, that was kind of an interesting jump. Typically, that's not what happens because a lot of our inquiries come in. They've seen the price on our website. They sort of get adjusted to thinking about this is what I'm going to spend. And yeah, thinking about spending three times that is not going to happen usually. (laughs) Um, But in some cases it does. Um, So there have been times where we definitely transition people between the two brands based on their needs, based on my availability even sometimes. Um, So yeah, that's definitely something that we kind of constantly navigate I think something else that we constantly navigate, which is another question from Jonathan Perkins, is kind of how, when, and in what way do we scale our business and how do we grow? How do we be able to take on more clients? So do you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, that is a constant point of uh, questioning for us. You know, okay, we're good taking on one wedding a day. When do we feel good about two Okay, now we're taking on three weddings in a day. When can we take a think about four? Um, you know, we're we have if you count photo, so we sort of when we when we think about counting our weddings now, we um, because photos doing photo and video is like twice the work. It's um, we consider that two weddings if we're doing one particular couple that we're doing both the photo and the video for. We call that two weddings. So you know, we have wed- we have weekends where there's five weddings on a Saturday, um, which is crazy. Um, but that's something that we've had to navigate a lot is thinking about how do we, how do we grow? How do we feel comfortable saying yes to more than one client, to more than two clients and so on as we've grown. And, uh, it's a big question. It's got, there's a lot of factors to it. Um, I think the biggest factor is just how many people do we have trained up that I feel really competent about, um, that I feel very confident about, excuse me. Um, that I feel confident that they're competent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, what, what's our situation in terms of how many people do we feel confident are good, solid leads, um, and, and good support second shooters for them. Uh, that's the biggest part of the conversation. Um, Another part of the conversation for me is always about backups. You know, if something happens to someone, do I have someone else that can go fill in the gap? Um, So we have, uh, I think, 12 people who are part of our team who could shoot, um, whether it's photo or video. Um, And all of our photographers are also trained in video, which is still where we do most of our work. And some of our uh, 
uh, filmmakers, we have also begun to train as photographers as we take on more work. So we're trying to kind of have people be able to move easily between the two, but making sure that we not only have people that can go shoot the wedding, but that we have a backup plan in case someone is so sick that they can't make it or um, some sort of family emergency or whatever, that there's always a backup plan. I think that's really important when we're thinking about growth. The last thing we want to do is not be able to cover somebody's wedding that we committed to. So that's a huge part of it. And then gear is another part of the equation as well. Do we have enough gear? Do we feel good about being able to purchase a whole nother set of equipment um, to be able to send out to weddings. So, um, you know, that's another part of the equation because gear is expensive. We're not hiring freelancers who come with their own gear, which again, makes our margins way the heck better. Uh, we couldn't possibly do what we do if we were going at it that model. So, um, but that means more overhead f- for me in terms of the gear it means more upfront costs And so, yeah, thinking about that, those are really the main factors because we feel really good about our systems in pre and post-production. We have editors who are very competent and fast. And so we can throw a whole lot at them and they can handle it. So on on the back end, you would think with the amount of weddings that we do, that we would be delivering weddings in six months. Um, but it's more like we're delivering weddings in one month, sometimes faster. Um, we tell people two months so that we can hopefully give it to them in about a month. I think that's what we're doing right now is maybe even faster than that. Maybe yeah. Like a couple of weeks. With it being slow season over summer, I mean, the few that we did, you know, in like July and August, I mean, they were done in a few days after the wedding, like not even a full week sometimes, you know. Um, so that's always great because I still send the email that says, Hey, you can expect it to be ready in two months. And then they get it a week later and they're like, Oh my gosh, you know? So but that's- we have people that specialize. I think that's part of what helps is like, because you're specializing in client communication and you have a really great system for that. It means I'm not worried about, we can do 300 weddings and I feel like Taylor can handle that, you know? Um, you feel like that, Taylor? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's really not a difference in having a hundred weddings a year or three hundred. Like the managing, it's all the same principles. It the only thing that matters to me is if we have the means, the gear, like you said, enough people to work it. That's the only thing that matters. Um, which I'll talk a little bit more about that. So c- our current status is that. We can do up to three wedding videos in a day and up to two photo weddings. Right. Um, sometimes those are combined. But the way that I do it is that, you know, I'll go ahead and book two video wedding videos in a day. Not Don't think about it. If I get to the point where I might book a third, then like I know we have the capability to do three, but that's when I start talking to my shooters and being like, hey, is who is available this date? Can I at least lock in a lead shooter? Second shooters, you know, we have a little bit more um, variety and capability to shift around people, but I automatically will ask, who can I lock in as a lead shooter? Before I talk to the couple and say, yes, we're available. Um, Even though like the chances that we can do three weddings is pretty much always going to be yes. Um, If we get to that third 
point, that's when I'm like, all right, I just want to double check because I don't want to end up booking three weddings. And then, oh, I've got a lead that's out of town or like we actually are short a few people that weekend so we can't accommodate it. So, And part of that is me playing a potential backup in, in those cases. Like we wouldn't fill up all of our leads and I have a wedding with Jordan Much Productions. Like that's not something we would do. So I have, I think I've only filmed two weddings with Ladybird Studios. Um, and it's really primarily just as a, well, one was just because I wanted to do it because it's an NFL player and I'm a nerd like that. <laughs> but uh, I think the other one was just because that was like a super busy day and uh, one of our leads had to back out for some reason. Um, so yeah, like you said, we've kind of functioned in that way. I don't, I basically never shoot ladybird weddings, um, but I do function as a last resort backup. You know, I'll give up my my weekend day and, and go shoot a wedding. Yeah, so. and all three of our current lead shooters are full-time staff. We all three also work in the office, so our availability is wide open. So I pretty much know that the three of us are going to be available on any given weekend, unless of the case of like someone being out of town, but that's, you know, not very often. Um, and then second shooters, we have a pretty good variety of choices as well. But since our second shooters are kind of more like part-time, their avail- availability varies. Some people have other jobs, you know. So I kind of, it's always a balance of knowing who's available when um, and balancing the schedule so that everybody kind of gets to work about the amount they want to work in a month, you know, depending on how busy we are. And then um, being able to cover all the weddings. Um, and I'm always two steps ahead when I'm scheduling. Like I will ask people at least a month, about a month and a half in advance. I'll be like, like right now I'm like, Hey, let me know your availability for November. It's September. Like I've already built the October schedule and sent it out and I'm almost done with the November schedule, especially during the busy season. I like to ask people a few months in advance sometimes like, Hey, do you know your availability for you know, these few months down the road, I want to just get an idea. <clears throat> Doesn't mean that you can't have things come up and that can change. But I like to sort of start building schedules out, you know, a month in advance, two months in advance, just so that people know. Because then if I can say, hey, here's your schedule in a month, then people can say, okay, now I know I'm working these two weddings. I can plan this around that. And, you know, there are other stuff in their life. So I always like to have a month's worth of weddings scheduled at least a month in advance so so my team can know and they can like prepare for it i don't like being last minute with stuff um unless it's the case of us having last minute inquiries which does happen and we just kind of take those on a case-by-case basis based on like you know if someone uh, emails us and says like hey my wedding's in three weeks do you happen to have any availability then we just go straight to our team and say, okay, how many weddings are we already doing? Who's still available? Does anyone want to take this? I know it's last minute. And then we kind of go from there. So I think being on top of scheduling and kind of just knowing your team well is going to help you as far as knowing how many weddings you can take on in a day, in a weekend, um, and not overwork anybody too much and just things like that. Okay, so one of the one of the questions that a lot of people have is they think that hiring anyone else is unattainable because they usually think about I've got to like salary people, and 
I have never salaried anyone. Um, and yet I have, um, you know, people who are working, 12 people who are working for me at some capacity, whether part or full time, um, just shy of half of those people are full time and I've never salaried anyone. Um, and it has done, uh, really, I think great things for both for, for myself, for the security of the company long-term, as well as incentivizing the people who work for me. So one of the things about salaried employees is that um, there's really not, other than like not losing their job, there really is not much benefit um, to them doing better quality work. Uh, they, you know, there's no financial incentive other than, you know, the fear of losing that job to doing really quality work in an efficient way. Um, and so I've really thought quite differently about how to compensate people. So, you know, my shooters, if you're, if you're shooting, you do get an hourly rate because the work is you know sort of pretty, pretty consistent, pretty predictable if you're out on the field shooting. Um, and they get various rates based on their skill skill level, their experience, um, their uh, all, all the factors that that make up a quality shooter, right? So they, um, you know, there's a big range there of what they get paid. But um, besides that, everything else is either commission based or project based. So primarily, we're talking about project based work. Um, so, you know, Taylor will get a fee for every wedding that comes through the studio. Um, you know, Taylor makes her, um, we call it a commission, but it's, it's, it's the amount that she's paid per wedding to manage that project. Um, so it does matter to me how many clients we book in a year. <laughs> exactly. It's her, uh, her, her wage is directly benefited by how many weddings we do, not just because she's shooting weddings, but because she's going to manage those projects from start to finish. So um, she's managing the leads. Once they've uh, you know, signed a contract, she's going to keep in communication with them throughout the whole time, all the way through to delivery. And also she's going to set the schedule for people. She's going to prep all the gear. So she manages all of that and gets paid her rate per, per, um, per job that we do. Um, our editors get paid per job that we do. And by paying them per job rather than on an hourly or on salary, it motivates them to do quality work because then they don't have to go back and redo it. Um, and it also motivates them to do it efficiently, to do it quickly. Um, because if they can do it quickly, then they can get they can do more weddings and they can make more money. And so they make more money than they would if I was paying them a salary. Um, but also it saves me sort of in the, and saves the, the business in the slower months, um, to not have to be spending a ton of money on overhead when we don't have a ton of weddings. We don't have really too many slow seasons. I mean, our slow season is most people's busy season. Pretty much July and August in Texas. Um, even June is usually still pretty steady. Um, but July and August really, I would say are the two slowest months. The other thing that this w way of structuring it, um, 
by doing the the set hourly rates for shooting and the per project for managing the project as well as for editing the projects. That makes my cost per wedding um, predictable down to the dollar amount. I know for every wedding, I can tell you exactly, and it's going to vary based on the package that they're in because some packages have more hours or maybe they have more deliverables on the, on the back end. Um, but I can look at any particular package that was booked and I know exactly what my cost for that wedding is going to be. And so without knowing those costs, you really don't know how much you're making and you're probably not actually going to make anything because you think you're making more than you are. Um, you're going to wonder why your bank account's lower than you thought it should be. Um, but yeah, having, having things set up that way has definitely made us so much safer as a business, but it's also incentivized people. And up until this point so far, it's, I think, made our, um, our team feel, uh, well, you, how, how does, how does that process, how does, how does this sort of system make you feel about life and about your job? It makes me feel like I have a huge amount of flexibility because if I'm looking at it from our standpoint, working in the office, you know, if I was getting paid hourly, it'd be like, well, I want to be at the office every day and I want to make sure I get like a lot of hours because that's how I'm going to get the money. But that's not really conducive in this job because some days there's not much to do. Some days I have a ton to do over the course of a week, you know, and each week can vary. And it really just depends how many events we have. Um, how many leads are coming in, like the amount of work kind of varies week to week. So if I'm getting paid on a per project basis, then I can kind of structure my hours in the actual office based on what I have to do each week. If I know like, hey, today I only need to come in three hours because that's about how much I got to do or check in at the office and then I can go. Or like, hey, I need to make sure I spend three full days because I kind of have my to-do lists in order and things like that. And then also because I shoot on the weekends, I mean, most weekends, um, it allows me to say, hey, okay, since I'm shooting on the weekends and I'm also coming in during the week, you know, I got to have my days off too. And I can kind of choose when those are going to be based on kind of what we have going on. You know, there's days when I do need to be here for a meeting or certain things, but if not, then I can kind of structure my work around that. You know, I more or less know what I have to do each week. And as long as I get my work done each week, doesn't really matter how many hours I'm clocking or how many, you know, times I'm actually in the office or not in the office. You know, the work's getting done. You know, some days I'm at my house doing laundry, but I'm answering emails or things like that. So having that flexibility has been huge for me. And also, it makes me feel like as more things come up, like things have come up that it's like, oh, hey, this is also something that needs to be done by somebody. I'm happy to do it, but let's talk about how we can maybe, you know, adjust my my pay for, you know, including extra projects or extra work. So when things like that come up, then I have the opportunity to make more in those cases. So it has been very beneficial all around. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just... It's really just a matter of treating adults like adults. And that can sound um, maybe derogatory if you're used to sort of salaried uh, wages or something. But um, I, I think that when you treat people 
like you trust them, like you um, want to provide sort of a a endless possibilities in terms of what they can do, the money that they can make. It's not limited. Nobody, nobody who works for me has a cap on what they could make. Um, it's just about, you know, can they do good work? Can they do it efficiently? And does that lead to us having more work that enables them to make even more, even more money? Um, and I've even made the, the, uh, I've made it known that Anybody, and we have one person in particular with my other company who's going after some corporate jobs, and she is going to make a lot of her money based off of commission. But I made that offer to anybody. If you bring us um, some work, um, to, our, work to our to, to our corporate work, if, if you bring that in, then I'm going to compensate you for that um, through through commission. And so there's there's really so much more upside for them. But there's also just a ton of freedom that comes in that. Of they don't really have to ask me for time off. You know, they're typically informing me <laughs> um, that they're going to be taking some time off, and that is there's just a great amount of freedom to that. People who are in a creative field, I think, especially value that sort of freedom of lifestyle. And so again, it's just made for a much better system for all of us going at it this way. So I think that comes up on the hour there. I know there's so much more that we could dive into. This could definitely be, um, we kind of go forever on this stuff, but we will wrap it up there. Taylor, do you have any last words for our audience before we do wrap it up? Um, one thing that Jonathan Perkins also asked is how do you deal with slow seasons? Well, this year, how we dealt with the slow season was we started a new company. <laughs> which we will talk more about in next week's episode. We will talk about our new brand, Film Mavericks. So stay tuned for that. That's right. Yeah, next week will be a great episode. We're excited about all the stuff that we're doing with Film Mavericks. It's some pretty different, innovative stuff. So you're definitely going to want to check out next week's episode. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. And keep making movie magic. The Wedding Film Academy podcast is produced by Taylor Juarez. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe on Patreon so you never miss a show. And when you're done, head on over to the Wedding Film Academy Facebook group to chat with other wedding filmmakers like yourself. Until next time, keep making movie magic.